and I oh, just yeah. wanted to see if I can address that with you quickly before you. Yeah, you, you know what? We're, we're, no, we're not. No, sorry. What do you want to say? So, so, I, so I just want to know, how do you feel about the fact that this is a benefit that you folks get? Yeah, I'm not a tax expert. I, yeah. When I read your article, I yeah. told my uh, my tax fellow, yeah. and, uh, who I've worked with for a long time, yeah. he says, no, you, there's no uh, there's no problem. Oh, you, sure. No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't say there was a problem with it, but I guess I'm just curious what your reaction to the piece was. I was, I was kind of shocked. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what it was about. Yeah. I know why you singled us out? Singled us out? What, yeah. How did you do that? What, what? Oh, we just found there was a rental listing, and then looked at those who were benefiting from it. Yeah, tax stuff is very complicated. You yeah. know, sometimes the tax um, bills uh, are in your favor. Sometimes they aren't. You yeah. Know? yeah. 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 So I mean, I, I think it was a proposition. 30, I think. 13, yeah. No, 30. Uh, we got we got hit pretty good. I, know, I think yeah. I up my taxes by about 30%. Yeah, oh, okay, that recent one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you, my, so you know, really I, pay a lot, I pay a lot of taxes. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a tax expert, so yeah. I can't really address okay. this year. But do you think it's good that, you got this ben that you're getting this benefit? I don't understand. You're here today to talk about time here. We gotta go. Enough. We got okay. I haven't had a chance to, uh, you know, to uh, get into it as okay. much as I want. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data and housing reporter for Cal Matters, And I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast, Liam tries to screw me out of my inheritance. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> we'll be taking a deep dive into uh, Liam's fantastic story about inherited Prop 13 property tax benefits that has made... Are we? Can we say national news at this point? What's what's been the the biggest reach of this story? So the craziest thing to me was waking a story published uh, uh, on a Friday morning, and waking up on Saturday morning and seeing a tweet uh, from a political reporter in New York who said he was at brunch in Brooklyn and mm. heard that the next table over was talking about property inheritance rules in California, mm. and that was mind blowing. Nice. I feel like yeah. the brunch in Brooklyn crowd is kind of where you want to be just life-wise. <laughs> no, I don't have any interest in moving to New York. <laughs> California's great. I'm going to stay. Um, so we'll be walking through um, what's in Liam's story, one of the best investigative pieces of the year. Well, thank you. You're really welcome. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, it was really good. Thanks. Um, and for our guest, we have... Yes, yeah, so we spent a lot of time, uh, obviously, reporting this jury out. My, now, it wasn't just me. My, my colleague, uh, a, a fantastic data reporter uh, out of Los Angeles, Ben Poston. And, and so... Very uh, good job, Ben. Yeah, so in our analysis, we tried to find people who were getting uh, this benefit, and we found a gentleman, um, uh, a, a, a retired park ranger, lives in Berkeley, who inherited his parents' house in, uh, in Sonoma. Uh, a rental, that's Bob Flasher, and Bob will be joining us. And we have a very special guest today. The The, the biggest get, I think, that we've had by far. Yeah, the dude. The dude himself. Yes. Who's he, the dude? So, Jeff Bridges, man. Mm. Um, he, uh, so, as a matter of unbelievable serendipity... Um, <laughs> It really is. It really is. So Bridges and his brother, uh, Bo, did not talk to me for my story. But it just so happens that uh, he's in Sacramento talking to the Sacramento Press Club uh, about childhood hunger issues. And so I'm going to bother him about his house in Malibu. 
<laughs> so this can work out a couple different ways. Um, if if uh, if we do have an interview, Liam will we will just play the entirety of the interview for you. It'll just be Liam. If Liam can only ask one question, you'll that's what you heard at the beginning of of this podcast. What's your favorite Jeff Bridges movie besides Lebowski? Oh, um, True Grit, I'd say. Yeah, True Grit is underrated. And Crazy Heart's overrated, in my opinion. Mm, are you going to bring that up with him? I should. <laughs> Lead with that. You know, I wrote about your house, but my question, my, my, I have a question and a comment. <laughs> I'll start with the comment. My comment is um, Crazy Heart is overrated. Also, if you could just tell him I'd like to be in the next Tron. Oh, Tron was so good. Please. Tron was so good. Please. Maybe I might revise my opinion and say Tron is the second best Jeff Bridges movie. If he could only have made Tron because of these property tax breaks, <laughs> I'm more and more comfortable with these property tax breaks. And we should say we tried to get a representative from the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association to, to be on the podcast. We tried to get um, a, another kind of anti-tax advocacy organization to join us, and they were unable to. To, to join us. Moving on. Uh, but before we get to Liam's story, a couple shameless plugs, I think all from me this week. Cal Matters has been nominated for an award for our housing coverage, which feels pretty good. Um, our card deck explainer, why California housing costs are so high, um, which kind of put us on the map for housing coverage here in California, which was produced by myself and uh, fellow reporter Ben Christopher and our very talented developer, John Osborne D'Agostino. Uh, was nominated for an Online News Association Award, which is a fairly big deal in, yeah. the, in the journalism world. If you haven't seen that card deck, definitely check it out. And that piece I did for NPR, basically a, a profile of Yimbies that aired a couple weeks ago on Here and Now, you can take a listen to that as well, which features uh, the Zucchini Lady, um, which many fans of the podcast know very intimately. Mm -hmm. Let's move to the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastery. The avocado of the fortnight. And this avocado of the fortnight comes from Liam Dillon. <laughs> Me? Um, the lead of this piece was avocado-y. Uh, so why don't we start, where, where did the origins for this story come from? And then how excited were you when you saw that you could open the piece with a celebrity? Yeah, so um, for a while, this story's been more than a year in the making. I, I was aware vaguely that there were uh, inheritance rules that were available under Proposition 13, basically just to, just to back up and explain what this does. Um, you, you know, under California law, under a ballot measure that was passed eight years after Prop 13, so this ballot measure was passed in 1986, uh, children of homeowners are allowed to inherit not only their parents' property, which of course you could do anywhere, but also the parents' low tax bills that they have gotten as a result of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the benefits that are offered to them under Proposition 13. And so, obviously, the longer that you're in a house, as we explained in our podcast last week, we have a deep explainer on how Prop 13 works. Very deep. The longer the longer you're in a house, the lower your property taxes are as a percentage of the actual market value of your property. What this proposition did and allows for is for children to inherit those low property tax bills. So, unlike a property sale, um, uh, which the property is is reassessed under California law, inheritance is treated like nothing changed. 
So it's kept in the family, and the low property tax bill is kept in the family. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was vaguely aware this existed um, and, and figured it was worth sort of exploring in, in depth. Then um, the Legislative Analyst Office, yep. which is, uh, you know, again, as we've mentioned many times, a great resource for all things, uh, and particularly on housing issues in recent years, did a, a pretty good report, um, you know, laying out what some of the high-level uh, uh, findings are and takeaways are from this, um, from this proposition, namely and- that there's a lot of revenue that's lost and that a lot of these properties are being rented out. And let's call them out by name. So yes. this, this report came from Brian Euler, right, yeah. who specializes in housing at the Legislative Analyst Office, yeah. who produces a ton of great work on the topic. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. people should read that report. Oh, totally, totally, totally. And so they did a fantastic job looking at some of the effects statewide. What we wanted to do, though, is to try to look at this on a particular property by property level to see sort of exactly who was benefiting what um, kind of deeper uh, statistics we were able to pull away. And so we were able, uh, after some effort, um, and uh, uh, to get data from 13 counties along the coast. Um, and uh, then we sort of wanted to find, oh, okay, uh, how can we examine sort of the how many how many of these properties are being rented out? What you know how much money are local governments losing as a result of this tax advantage? And so uh, we got this massive database, and then I just you know Ben and I started comparing um, rental listings uh, that we found on Zillow and other places mm-hmm. with some of the information about properties that were inherited. And so. I literally had a, like a split screen. One was the properties that were available for rent along the coast in LA, and the other was, um, you know, properties that uh, um, uh, we had in a map that were uh, that had received this benefit. And so I'm like clicking back and forth, clicking back and forth, and then found. Yes, welcome to my world. Right. I mean, this is like this is the this is like when you you know in Spotlight when they had the. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> no. no. I'm no. leaving this one <laughs> in, Liam. I'm leaving this one in. <laughs> I, I That's way too self-aggrandizing. Nope. I'm not going to do this it. One's so, in, so, <laughs> this so, one's staying in, Liam. This one's staying in. So as a, as a matter it's of- exactly like the investigation yeah, of uh, yeah, right. no, pedophilia as, in, the, I, I, <laughs> in the Catholic Church in Boston. So so as a matter of course, for context for the for listeners, um, Matt has it. I've I've continually asked Matt to cut out some of the some of the self-aggrandizing things that I say, uh, and I guess he's going to leave this one in. This is, one's is, keep, this one's is, staying in. Fine. So so uh, to be clear, I am not comparing this investigation to what the Boston Globe did. You but what just I, did. But what I what the reason why I brought it up was simply to say that the drudgery yes. of of journalism is like what you saw in that movie, which is like looking at like documents and slide rules and like to try to make patterns that you would would not otherwise see. Yes, and so, le- and yeah. let me let me say yeah. that this is why you should support journalists like Liam and Ben um, because it no one is doing this work. The county tax records, yes, you can access some of them online, but you for what you had to do, you have to go to the county to get the files you want, and then sure. you have to basically go to Zillow and be like, okay, what? How do I merge these together? Exactly. Right. So that exactly. it it takes grunt work. Right. So um, I'm like looking at these, you know, two maps and clicking and clicking and clicking, and all of a sudden I come upon a, a property that was being rented for or being advertised as being rented for a lot of money, um, you know, roughly 16 grand a month, uh, right on the beach in Malibu, and I'm like, wow, this is an interesting property. Uh, let me, and it was inherited in 2009. Let me see who owns it. And so I go pull property records for the ownership, and you start at the bottom, and I see uh, Dorothy Bridges. And then I see Lloyd Bridges, and then I see Jeff Bridges, 
And I'm like, no. <laughs> this can't possibly be true. This can't possibly be true. And so then I start Googling, and I'm like, no way, man. I can't believe Jeff Bridges and his siblings inherited the house from, you know, Lloyd Bridges and his, uh, and his mom, uh, and he got this benefit. This is incredible. His father, Lloyd Bridges, also, also a, a famous TV actor. Movie, movie star. So yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So he comes from a line of- A lineage. Mm-hmm. Hollywood elites. Of, yes. yes. Rich actors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. The issue is how do you get normal human beings to care, to care mm-hmm. right? And and I think a way you do that is you connect people that they know with with benefits that you that they wouldn't expect them to be receiving. Um, and so that's what we were able to do here. And so being able to find that, um, and also you know, I mean, like the character in Lebowski is like very much a slack like a, a slacker, like a guy who sits around, you know, and it's just like just an interesting like like take on you know having a, a very iconic LA role you know and so it's just like a very it would just it would just fit like everything that you'd want out of a out of a good example yes it was it was perfect in many ways yeah so let let's just go through sum up the gist of the story for us for those of us that are too lazy to read yes what what, yeah. what are the main findings that we should take away from the story yeah so um uh, this is a, a benefit that's that's extremely widespread and growing um, statewide. There's uh, roughly 65,000 people a year who are getting it. Um, and this is a benefit that is not restricted to those who live in their parents' houses. In fact, we found a number of cases, um, not only the bridges, uh, for those who uh, are able to keep extraordinarily low uh, property tax bills compared to their market value and also rent out the property uh, and make pay able to pay for that property tax bill very quickly. So the Bridges, for instance, um, had their property on the on the market. Uh, this is a beach house in Malibu for sixteen grand a month, and their property tax uh, bill was fifty seven hundred dollars an entire year. So they could pay their property tax bill with less than two weeks of uh, two weeks of rent. Pretty nice. Yeah, and this is not just. And 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 uh, you know, had their property been inherited, and this benefits accrue to them every single year. So mm-hmm. had the Bridges property been reassessed when they inherited in two thousand nine? Uh, well, let me let yeah. me just interrupt you quickly. Yeah. This will be our number of the fortnight. Oh yes. So, so that it's yeah. fine. So yeah. yes. here it is, the here number is of the, the fortnight. So yes. Yeah, so had the Bridges property been reassessed when um, they inherited in two thousand nine, uh, they'd be paying a lot more in in taxes, and because it wasn't, they saved roughly three hundred thousand dollars or more than that, uh, and that that number is only going to go up every year that they that they keep it. And so uh, you know, again, not just not just them. I mean, a, a number of other you know sort of uh, uh, elites, yeah, you- yeah, as as we've called them in the story, mm-hmm. had huge benefits. Uh, the Annenberg family, um, one of the richest f- uh, families in, in, in Los Angeles, huge donors. Um, the daughter of, of uh, in that family, a daughter, re- um, received and inherited a house in Beverly Hills, now worth ten- over $10 million. Since inheriting it in 2009, according to our calculations, saved 500 grand in property taxes. We have a... Um, uh, the descendants of a founder of United Airlines, um, a home in along the coast, San Montecito in Santa Barbara, uh, owe less than ten grand a year in property taxes to have the property uh, listed as a rental for twenty grand a month. And, yeah. So you know, a lot of these kind of high value properties, you're really seeing substantial savings to those who are wealthy. Do other states do it like this? No. I think that's a very important point. Right. So certainly. For context, no, very few other states have uh, anything that's like Prop 13. Yeah. In fact, in fact, California is unique for that in and of itself. But the idea of then passing along those benefits is something that also is is also is unique. 
um, to California. Yes. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about how much this costs local governments? Yeah. So um, obviously, when um, benefits are accruing, lower taxes are accruing to people, um, then uh, and there's a tax break, then the, lo- the loser, a loser, is government, right? And so, um, if this weren't in place, uh, we found that, uh, well, statewide, according to legislative analysts, would be a hit um, of $1.5 billion, which affects not only the local budgets, uh, but also the state budget, too, given that the state has to sort of, under complex rules, you know, pay for schools that otherwise would, would, mm-hmm. would get property tax mm-hmm. revenue. And then um, on our analysis, which is more de- detailed than theirs, because we were able to look at individual property data, um, where the legislative analysts sort of looked at it on a countywide basis, we found, found in, in Los Angeles the hit last year was $280 million. Um, and so, uh, and again, this number everyone expects will grow every year as more properties continue to be inherited. To put the total loss of revenue in context here, because a billion dollars is a lot. Yeah. That's 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 a lot of money. But mm-hmm. to just to kind of hammer that home, the additional funding for homelessness that was passed as part of this year's state budget, which mayors around uh, the state um, intensely lobbied for, was six hundred million in a one-time, one-time appropriation. Right. Yep. And it's uh, significantly larger than what was predicted when um, the ballot measure was on on the ballot in the 80s. Um, And so, you know, that number might have looked that scary for those of you who voted on it in 1986, uh, but it it is pretty scary today. So let's talk about the initiative when it was floated in the 80s. Yeah. Um, What what did the author of the initiative have to say about this? So that was another thing that I was really uh, pleased that we were able to do is I was able to find the guy who wrote this ballot measure in 1986. He's named Thomas Hannigan. He's a former assemblyman from Solano County. And what he was trying to do was sort of two things. Uh, One is he was upset that, um, as he wrote at the time in a contemporaneous memo, that um, corporations, their property taxes don't change over time, um, even, you know, even if management changes because the corporate entity remains the same. And so he sort of had an argument that basically families were like corporations too, right? Um, and therefore their property taxes should not change. And so that was the, the benefit that he wanted to put forward. Also, he said, you know, privileging families is good social policy. And so they were the reasons why he decided to put it on the ballot. However, um, when I, you know, found him and talked to him about this, um, he said, he had absolutely no idea that this would the situation would be uh, what it is today, namely that the lion's share of these properties are um, going to heirs who are renting them out and uh, and using them as as investments and income producing rather than simply living in them. Let's ask the broad question: Why does that matter? Why why does it matter that the that the person who inherits the property actually live in the property? So I think it's one thing. Uh, there's a one sort of moral argument, if you will, mm-hmm. that, um, and this goes back to the original argument for Prop 13, we should not be taxing people out of their homes, mm-hmm. right? And so the, that argument was extended to, we should not be taxing families out of their homes, right? Um, but there's no, there was no similar moral argument that we should not be taxing people out of their investments. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so creating a, a situation where we're giving extraordinary tax benefits to people to um, make uh, uh, money off of inherited properties when we have, you know, uh, 1.7 million families in California uh, paying more than half their income on rent, um, I think is a, a legitimate question about our uh, uh, d- 
decisions to where we want to dedicate scarce tax income mm-hmm. and who's, who's going to be benefiting from that and why. So even John Kupal, who was the mm-hmm. head of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, Howard Jarvis, again, was the, the, the guy who pushed Prop 13, um, and they are the, sort of the keepers of Prop 13, the sanctity of Prop 13. Even he said, look, like, I don't think voters realize that they would be subsidizing um, you know, multi-million dollar properties uh, to people who don't even live in state. We haven't even mentioned this. You don't even have to live in California to get this benefit. I found a I found an attorney in Boca Raton, Florida, who mm-hmm. was renting out his parents' home in Santa Monica and being able to pay off his property tax bill in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is not even a Californian who's who's getting um, significant advantages off of this. Let me make the counter argument to the moral argument that yeah. you just laid out yeah. there. So, state policy and federal policy has creative massive incentives to pursue a home as the primary vehicle for wealth accumulation. Right. And Prop 13 has reinforced that, especially here in California. Yeah. So among the choices you have to kind of like accumulate assets, the house is that's that's the one for tons of families across the state. Right. Yes. And some of the incentive to buy a house is to pass it on to your kids, not just as a house that one day they might live in, but as an asset in and of itself, right? Right. This is Mm -hmm. something I worked for. I want to pass it on to my children. Why why should they be forced to pay a significant tax penalty on that, even if they do choose to to rent it out? I worked for this. Um, I bought this house. I knew it was going to be a good investment. Now you're telling me my kids have to take a huge tax hit on this when I die? Right. Right. So that's a really good question. And, uh, and um, it's a really good question. So I think the argument to that is, is I think there are a few arguments to that. Um, you know, there are significant advantages that of those who receive inherited property and children of homeowners sort of get anyway. So the legislative analyst, when he uh, examined this um, this 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 measure, uh, found that, you know, a ton of research that says children of homeowners in general have greater financial advantages than renters, right? Um, are, and they're more affluent. Inherited homes are more likely to have paid off mortgages and allow children to tap that home's equity for loans. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's significant racial disparities, as we know, between who homeowners are. A much higher percentage of white households in California uh, own homes than black and Latino families, right? And so, um, you know, uh, we have decided then, um, under this policy, this policy privileges not just homeowners who made that investment, but their children for no other reason other than they are the children of homeowners. Um, and so um, I think that uh, practically, you know, you, the, what I just said raised a number of uh, equity questions about that. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, too, this very issue came up uh, in a U.S. Supreme Court case um, that was, that was uh, argued with respect to Prop 13. This inheritance tax break was a part of that. And, you know, ultimately the Supreme Court upheld the, um, the uh, uh, rules, but um, in, in the dissenting opinion, this is uh, Justice John Paul Stevens sort of laid out what he believed was extremely unfair about this principle. And he mm-hmm. said, the tax breaks, I'm quoting him, um, as, quote, establishes a privilege of a medieval character. Two families with equal needs and equal resources are treated differently solely because of their different heritage. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to... You could may perhaps quibble with medieval, right, if you don't think that's inflammatory. But it is tough to argue with the underlying point that uh, two families of equal needs and equal resources are treated differently solely because of their heritage. Like, that's a fact. Like, that's not something that is 
uh, arguable. You mm-hmm. know, that's what this policy does. And so I think it, uh, the, the question is whether that's a privilege that we want to be granting folks in California. And not just that. Remember, those who benefited the most are those uh, families who were in homes um, in California in the 70s when Prop 13 passed. So it's not just people who bought homes at any point. The real huge winners are those who, were, who had a particular moment in time mm-hmm. um, decided to buy property mm-hmm. here. What about the argument that in California, it is objectively true that especially people on the higher income side of things pay significantly higher taxes than in other parts of the country. Yeah. That includes income taxes, right. sales taxes higher here, although that's a regressive tax, sure. right? Sure. There's multiple other taxes here in California where your average Californian is paying a lot more than in other states, right? Yeah. Property taxes is one of the very few areas of California's tax regime where Californians actually pay less. Yes. What what about that argument here that you're you're focusing on something that yes is a disproportionate benefit to a few. Yeah. But they're paying a lot in other taxes in other ways, right? Yeah. So, um that's also a good a good a good question. I think but then that goes back to equity concerns too mm-hmm. because again, we have yes, um for many who have bought in or bought in in long-standing families or long-standing folks who own houses in California, yeah, yeah their property taxes are super low comparatively. But for those, because property values are so high today in California, um, those who are trying to buy in now who did not have access before actually have a really high hit on their property taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we um, spoke with a, a, a family in Lancaster in um, northeastern um, L.A. County, first-time home buyers, 34, 35, just had a baby, uh, you know, would, would have liked to find something closer to the city of L.A., but instead the only place they could afford, uh, you know, what was $350,000 for a four-bedroom um, in, in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. They had to tap their 401K to mm-hmm. their 401Ks to be able to make that down payment. Um, and their annual property tax bill was, was $4,800, um, you know, uh, last year for their first bill. By contrast, you know the Bridges family again going back to them paid fifty seven hundred dollars last year for their home, which is worth nearly twenty times more than what this f- family in Lancaster did. And yes, so, and to your yeah, point, the yeah. Bridges are going to have a much easier time coming up with fifty seven hundred dollars out of their liquid assets. Correct. Than that family in Palmdale, Lancaster that you profiled. Right. So yes, the Bridges pay super high income taxes, no question about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, uh, sort of their low property taxes are, aren't really a function of anything other than when their family decided to buy a house, right? So the equity argument, I think, also strikes at um, the the point that you're making about the tax burden as well. Uh, so reading this, um, I and I think a lot of people who read your story immediately thought about their situation and their parents. My parents, the most valuable asset that they have by far is their house. Yeah. Depending on kind of how things go this Thanksgiving, uh, <laughs> it'll, it, it could likely come my way and my sister's way. Yeah. The irony, it seemed to me in reading this, is if you took away, let's say, the ability for people to rent this out, that's going to hurt millennials because they're, they're, their parents are the ones who will be – you know, not to be too morbid, but yeah. we'll be who are property owners and sure. we'll be passing away at some point. Although I think their life expectancy is probably going to, you know, veer into like the 200s at this point. <laughs> but right, like reading this is like, oh, if you cure this now, yeah. uh, cure is too strong a word. Yeah. If you change this now, right. and this can be true of a lot of a lot of things when it comes to 
housing policy. If That's you right. change this now, yeah. the people who will suffer from it right. are the people who are younger and haven't had the opportunity to buy into the market yet. Yeah. Right. So what what do you make of that? So that's a, it's a, another interesting question. Um, so I spoke with this is not ultimately make it make it into the story. Um, but I spoke with a USC professor who has studied Prop 13 uh, a lot, named Dal Myers, and great um, name. Yeah, great name. What he told me is that um, it was really interesting. Like you may think this is would help millennials, but in fact, it it really doesn't because think of the ages of people who are passing away and the ages of their kids, right? This is so really these benefits are not going to people in their in their thirties. This is going benefit once inherited is going to people in their fifties, forties, fifties, sixties. And that's not the population that's dealing with huge student loan debt or all the sorts of things that millennials now have to, you know, um to to deal with. Um this is going to a population that's already sort of gone through that that process, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had a great quote. Um he said, you know, the 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 what this policy is it's the really old generation helping the next old generation uh, <laughs> and he said the crisis of California is with young people so this doesn't really help young people it helps people in their fifties yes I yeah. think I think it is fair to say eventually we will be the older generation right oh certainly certainly but yeah. at that point um, likely already have kids likely already had a situation where it would have been nice. To be able to have some assistance, if particularly if you're a first-time home buyer, mm-hmm. and that's what nearly not—that's really not what this policy is, yeah. is designed to accelerate or help. What What have you heard in terms of the prospects of uh, reforming this? Yeah, so I think uh, we are likely to see some some discussion at the very least in this area um, very soon. In fact, in some ways, it started already. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the folks I spoke with was uh, current assemblyman David Chu, Democrat out of San Francisco, uh, who uh, said in the story he'd. Like to do away with it, and then subsequently, after it came out, has made clear that he's considering and pursuing some ideas for a ballot measure that would uh, curtail this practice in some way. And do we know what parts he wants to do away with it? Because there are multiple approaches to reforming this, right? You, sure. You could do something where you say you can't rent it out, right? Right. You could just take away the break entirely, right? So he told me for the story that he wanted to do away with it entirely, uh, but I think he's you know sort of. Uh, hedged on that in the sense that, look, we want to take a deep analysis of this policy and see what's the best way that would work, not just practically, um, but I think also politically, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's the process that once the legislative session ends here, he'll be looking at uh, to see what might happen in the beginning of next year. For what it's worth, the realtors who we talked about extensively um, on the last podcast. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The current version of their uh, initiative uh, that basically expands Prop 13 for older homeowners um, does not have anything to do with this, but in right. the 2020 version of their yeah. initiative, it actually yeah. does touch on this. Yeah, the sort of the backup measure the realtors have that they've uh, 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 just filed to the attorney general's office to consider putting on the 2020 ballot would not only continue their the Prop Five efforts, but would uh, as a way to sort of make revenue back would eliminate the inheritance tax break for uh, properties that that were rented out. So you'd have to be owner occupied in, or, in order to continue to receive it. Mm-hmm. This is in the Constitution, right? This Correct. was a constitutional amendment. Yeah. So for any change to happen to this, what needs to happen? Uh, has to go on the ballot. Yeah. So you would have to vote on this in one way or another. So speaking of the ballot, yeah, I was curious in light of your story and um, Prop 13, at least in two ways, being on the ballot um, in this November and then in 2020 with the Prop 5 initiative that we just uh, talked about, but then also a uh, split role, which would be a yeah. significant change to Prop 13 and how it treats commercial properties, possibly on the ballot for 2020. I took a look at some of the polling 
around Prop 13. I just want to share a few insights that I gleaned from just looking at some of the historical attitudes that Californians have had towards it. My prior going into this was I thought there would be some type of change in how Californians have viewed Prop 13 and likely a a decline in approval. That was my prior. Right, because people, a lot less people are, I mean, they're new people since 1978 uh, that weren't around for the arguments that were happening in 1978 of sort of widows being taxed out of their homes, right? Like that was the, you know, we went back in the last podcast, talked about the things that were happening in the 70s. You know, I wasn't around for um, the Iran hostage crisis, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but people who were remember that uh, and perhaps, you know, colors their perspective. So this is where you're coming from. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And yeah. there's been, well, two other reasons. Yeah. One, a, a growing share of Californians are renters. Right. So there is much less of a, a attachment to Prop 13 if you're a renter. Right. Um, and two, I do think in the wonkish circles that we travel in, the connotation of Prop 13, the first thing that comes to mind is this has screwed things up for local governments and state governments in a lot of ways. Like if, if you were just doing a um, – what's the pop, the the Q rating of Prop 13? Okay. That would be in the in the circles we travel in. Yeah. Significantly lower than the Q rating of Jeff Bridges. Sure. To tie this all back together. Yes. Right? Exactly. But that my prior was wrong. Like just straight up my prior was wrong. Mm-hmm. So – and this I think actually did make it into your story. Yeah. Um, in 1978, Prop 13 passed with 65% of the vote. Which is a big number. Very big number. Yeah. Ironically, almost two-thirds. Yes. <laughs> um, PPIC, uh, Public Policy Institute of California, my friends, uh, did a poll uh, on Prop 13 earlier this year and asked likely voters, do you feel passing Prop 13 turned out to be a mostly good thing for California or a mostly bad thing? What and are they find? 65%. Wow in 2018, thought it was a mostly good thing. Mm -hmm. When you look at how that has tracked historically, I thought I would see some type of variation beyond just like an overall kind of downward, uh, a decline in approval. I thought, well, you know, maybe there's some type of relationship between how people feel towards Prop 13 and housing values, right? right? Like mm -hmm. I could just, you know, during the depths of the foreclosure crisis versus what it is now, you know, maybe there's some relationship there. And it has been it has been remarkably consistent, mm. at least from the early part of the millennium. Mm-hmm. I just want to go through some of the crosstabs yeah. on this because yeah. I think it would surprise a lot of people. So, again, this is the 2018 uh, poll of likely voters. Of course, if it's likely voters, there's going to be more homeowners in there generally. Right. Uh, so I like doing this where I ask you for your prior. Oh, you're okay. an informed citizen. Okay. Boy. Oh no, you can see it. No, I don't. I've I've turned the page or paper over. I'm not looking at it. I feel like you just looked at I, it. I would looked at the front page, not the second page that has it. I I, I don't swear, trust you at I all. I swear but go to ahead. you that I don't know. Yeah. What do you think the polling is among registered Democrats for approval on Prop 13? Sixty. Close. Fifty-five percent. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. Eighteen to thirty-four year olds. Over 50. 54%. Okay. Yeah, you looked at this. I did not. Nope. Renters. Oh, man. Uh, I also would say over 50. 50, exactly. Wow. Yeah. I, I will say yeah. for this polling, there is there is a significant proportion of respondents who said they didn't know. If you remember the Affordable Care Act, Liam. I, I do. Mm. Yes. And some of the polling when the Affordable Care Act was kind of first put into law. Right. 
if you just ask people whether they like the Affordable Care Act, they 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 don't like it. Right. But if you tell them what the individual parts are, right. basically except for the individual mandate, which right. they don't like, right. um, they love it, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, which was supposed to be a reflection of when you explain the policy, people have a different reaction to it, right? The same can kind of be said for Prop 13, although I don't think to the same degree, but right. I'm just trying to draw the yeah, analogy yeah. Mm-hmm. here. Um, when you break down some of the individual components of Prop 13, and there's a lot, the, the, the polling looks different. PPICS, as a result of Prop 13 and increases in home prices in California, a homeowner who recently purchased a home uh, will pay much higher property taxes than a homeowner who purchased a similar home several years ago in the in the same neighborhood. Right. Right. Yeah. This is the heart of Prop 13 Absolutely. in many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a majority of people who responded to this poll question opposed that feature. 51%. Only yeah. 40% supported it. Right. Well, and there's two ways you could go with that. I mean, the the cure is not necessarily cure again, but the cure is not necessarily to raise everybody's property taxes based yes. on the market value. It could be to lower people's taxes uh, to perhaps a more equalized assessed value. That would be, you know, and so like it isn't the answer is not necessarily raise or change Prop 13 so that taxes are raised. It could be changed to Prop 13 so taxes are cut. Sure. Uh, all right. I think that's it. Anything else? That's good. All right. Um, good job again. Thank you. Let's go to our interview with Bob Flesher. All right. So we're here with uh, Bob Flasher, who is one of the beneficiaries of this inheritance tax break. He was featured uh, in our story. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. So, uh, well, let me let me yeah, ask first. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Bob, um, I realize Liam is on the line, um, but. That should not preclude you from being candid. What do you think of the story? What, what are your reactions to the story? Oh, since Liam's interest, uh, on the line, it was a great story. <laughs> Actually, I, it was really thorough. It was just amazingly a long uh, article and covered a lot of the different um, <laughs> aspects of property tax advantages that people get by inheriting homes mm-hmm. and, and whether that sounds fair or not. Amazingly long, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I found it amazingly article. long, the too. The articles in the paper are really short, but that yeah. one was a really good feature article that uh, got into some de- uh, detail, yeah. which I well, appreciated. Well, thank you. So wh- what, was your, what was your big takeaway? Well, they were kind of living in a feudal system where the lords passed down all their property to their children, and everyone else lives in thatched huts and slaves and slogging through the mud. I mean, it's, it's not a good system now. It's yeah. just not fair to uh, new uh, families that want to buy a home yeah. and have to pay enormous taxes, yeah. while some people have amazing tax advantages. Not yeah. only people like me that inherit homes at our parents' rate, but uh, p- that businesses like gigantic apartments, Disneyland, Marine sure. World, that kind of stuff, that yeah. never change hands. Yeah. And so they pay the same rate as ever. They aren't paying their fair share of um, taxes to support all the public services that we all enjoy. Yeah. So wh- why don't, Bob, why don't, so our, for our audience who, who may not have read this story or uh, have read it a while ago, can you, why don't you tell us about yourself? Who are you um, and what's your, what's your family history? I uh, am a, a career public employee. I've worked for three public agencies at very modest paying jobs. I was a ranger most of my career, uh, working in local parks. And uh, I had the good fortune of having a dad who was kind of a, a medical plan administrator. And so he made a good living and 
bought three pieces of property, one that they lived in and one for my brother to run a an alternative high school in, and another one, a river property on the Russian River that reminded uh, my dad and mom of the good times they had in Minnesota when they were growing up mm. on lakes. Mm-hmm. And so I inherited that home and got all the tax advantages my parents had, even though the, the home had rec- uh, increased about 2,000% in value since wow. they bought it about 45 years ago. And you still own the home? Yes, uh, just because of this uh, tax advantage of being able to inherit their rate. Mm. If I had to actually pay what someone would have paid who bought it from them, I'd have to sell it immediately. Yeah. And the bind I would have been in is I couldn't because the house had a roof that leaked, it had a deck that was caving in, it had windows that needed to be replaced because the, fra- the frames had rotted. And so that took us a year to make all those uh, improvements, and it set us back about $30,000. Wow. Mm. And so that's why we decided to rent it to try yeah. to recoup some of the money. Mm-hmm. And wh- what is it renting at now? Uh, we were asking for 2800 a month. And then what are the taxes you're paying uh, a year on it? I think about four or five thousand a year, something like that. Got it. And, and again, to be clear, this is this the second property. So you live, you don't, you, yeah. you don't live. Yeah, in we we, re- we live in Berkeley, and Got we it. only use that house. We go up there on weekends mm-hmm. uh, with friends to mm-hmm. just relax and swim, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we can't afford to take trips to Europe and South America and go on Antarctic expeditions and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> so Russian River, it is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I do want I want to go back to something you said at the start. Um, you said this 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 uh, tax break benefits turns people into lords. Uh, and so Bob, um, are you a lord? <laughs> no, no. I'm living on a fixed income, you know, mm-hmm. Social Security yeah. and a small retirement that I got from working as a ranger. Yeah, yeah. So not a lord. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. My he, dad wasn't either. He, he and my mom lived really, really modestly. Yeah. And they just put all their extra money into these three properties so they could give one to each one of their sons. Mm-hmm. They gave us. They left practically no money for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the properties. Yeah. And but we were all excited about getting them because my brother lives at one. Uh, I recreated the other. And my third brother had to sell yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the house that he inherited because he couldn't afford to keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh. Bob, do you, do you think the law should be changed? I, I can't hear the last part of your question. Sure. Uh, do you think the law should be changed? Yeah, it should definitely be changed. So even even if that meant you wouldn't be able to keep that house? Yeah, I think that that would be the only fair way to do it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just if, if the law is changed so that, well, let me put it this way. we all We've all pretty much agreed that graduated income taxes are a fair way to do things, that the people that benefited most from society should pay a little bit more into it. And, but we don't feel that way about uh, property taxes in California since Prop 13. So I think they should be graduated. Mm. And people like me that inherit, you know, properties worth about $700,000 uh, should pay a, a slight increase in property taxes. But people like the folks down inheriting $10 million homes in Malibu and are just renting them for extra income they should be paying a lot of money in extra taxes because it's a very expensive home. Hmm. And the unfortunate thing about having a graduated scale would be that many people that inherit homes like me could not afford to keep them at all. Hmm. So pretty soon it would be only wealthy people that own all the homes in California, especially those in resort areas and on the coast. Mm-hmm. 
the rest of us would be living probably in trailer parks <laughs> or in another state. Sure. Yeah, we're getting close to that. Yeah. So the just to want to push that a little bit. I think one counter to that argument is okay. Uh, yeah, certainly this has allowed a a portion of uh, people who would otherwise be middle class or working class in California and their families to inherit an asset that is you know, um, really valuable that could be used as a home or as used as, as, uh, as income producing that, that may be needed or may be super helpful to a family's or a children's bottom line. But those benefits went to folks who happened to be around and have bought properties at a particular point in time. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so it's really only a certain kind of class of folks who are able to enjoy the benefits on, on that scale. And I'm curious if you thought about that in, in, in your reaction to what you're reading in the, in the piece. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to inherit a home, you know, especially like if we were renting at the time instead of owning our home in Berkeley, Mm -hmm. we would have a home to move to. That would be great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have a vacation home in the family, you know, that's your second home, but, you know, it isn't necessary. Do you have children, Bob? Yeah, I have one uh, one son. Do Do you consider your house something that you've worked for to pass on to your to your son? Yeah, if he's interested, he doesn't particularly like living in Berkeley, though. <laughs> he grew up here and really doesn't want to live here again. He's in Los Angeles now. And so uh, he would probably just sell it. Not rent it out? Well, he could do that, too. It's sort of up to him. That probably depends on what kind of financial situation he's in then. Sure. Yeah. He's still young. He's in his early 20s and mm-hmm. doesn't really have a solid career yet. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is, like, you know... If you the argument that if you worked hard and this is probably the the biggest asset that you have, why should the state take out a significant chunk of it when you pass it on to your child? Do you yeah, feel that way at question. all? Um, <laughs> a lot of people argue the state and the national government shouldn't get any chunk of anything. Mm. That we're all independent citizens who not should not pay taxes to anyone. Mm. But you know, if you like police departments, fire departments, hospitals public services, Social Security, Medicare, you know, you have to pay taxes. That's it. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's reasonable for the state to bring in a level of tax money that affords, that allows it to run whatever businesses it needs to do to support the public. Now, that's, you know, that's arguable. You know, like, I wouldn't spend any money on sound walls along freeways. I wouldn't spend any money on making twin tunnels out of the Delta. I wouldn't spend any money on... Uh, um, fast light rail system through the Central Valley. Are, are you running for governor? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But you know, there's. Do you think you'd you'd feel that way if you weren't um, a, a public employee, right? Because that's that's. I think some people will listen to this and be like, "Well, sure, he cares about the tax revenue here because he was the public employee." Yeah, that's a good reason to care about tax revenue. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not like I was just sitting there. <laughs> Collecting money. <laughs> My motto as a public employee was, when I work an eight-hour day, I want it to look like I'm working nine. Mm. I really tried to accomplish a lot. Yeah. And when I, was, when I was a ranger, I got in trouble consistently for working way more than the other rangers during the day. <laughs> but I was just compulsive about giving the public what they were paying for. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure everyone is like me, but mm-hmm. um, you know, if you want public services, you have to pay for them. That's it, yeah. you know. And if I wasn't a public employee, I still appreciate having a police and a fire department. I'm living in one of California's uh, extra high fire zones because they're on the edge of a regional park. And this area has burned down once before, about 60 years ago. 
and it will probably burn down again. It, we're only a couple miles away from the 1991 fire that burned down over 3,000 homes in the Oakland Hills and, and part of the Berkeley Hills. And so I need a fire department. I'm willing to pay taxes for it. Yeah. All right. I, I think that's that's it for me, Liam. Yeah. Bob, is there anything else that you want to add or emphasize at all or, or want to tell people? Uh, no. You know, just, you know, the state needs to be more creative about um, – getting tax money, and having it be reasonable and, and trying to be fair to people at all different income levels. So I, I just think that, you know, I remember the, the days when Eisenhower was president. I'm, I think that was the end of the Jurassic period. And uh, people, wealthy people were paying over 70% uh, federal taxes. Hmm. And they were complaining about it, of course, just like they complained about paying 35% now. But it didn't put all the pressure on middle-class people to make up for what uh, the governments aren't getting now from the wealthy who can definitely afford it. All right. Well, Bob, thank you so much uh, for your time. We really appreciate you. Yeah, uh, it was really great talking to you. And, and thanks again for the article. It really gave lots of people some, uh, something to think about. Great. Thank you, Bob. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast presented by Cal Matters. I'm Matt Levin. You can find me on Twitter at MLevinReports. I'm Liam Dillon. Uh, my Twitter handle is at DillonLiam. Please, uh, if you haven't yet, please read my story. I'd be loved, love to hear what your uh, feedback is. You can email me or reach me on Twitter. We'll include the story in the show notes, of course. Um, also, just a plug, if you like the work that Liam does, if you like the work that I do... Support journalism. All right. Thank you very much.